Hello, and welcome to this Coupa HR podcast. This year is Coupa HR's 75th anniversary. HR and higher education has come a long way over the past 75 years. For this series, emerging Coupa HR leaders set out to discover lessons from the past, present, and future of higher ed HR by talking with several outstanding leaders in our profession. Each of our guests has received Coupa HR's highest honor, the Donald E. Dickinson Award which was named for the association's founder and first president and recognizes outstanding contributions to Coupa HR in the profession. Join us as we pick their brains and solicit their advice about higher ed, HR, and Coupa HR. I'm Deborah Shivers. I am the Senior Assistant Director of Shared Human Resources and Administrative Services at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Hi, and I'm Aaron Copley-Spivey, the Director of Human Resources and Title IX Coordinator for the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. We're joined by two guests today. I'm Lynn Bynum. I'm the Chief Human Resources Officer, the Title IX Coordinator, and um, the Healthy at Work Officer at Bellarmine mm -hmm. University in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Lauren Turner, and I am the Senior Associate Vice Chancellor for Human Resources and Organizational Strategy and Effectiveness at the University of Massachusetts, Lowell. So Erin, um, do you wanna start off with the first question? Lynn, we'll, we'll send it right to you first. So love for you to tell us about a favorite Coupa HR memory that you have. Maybe it's a moment that, you made, that made you feel especially connected to your Coupa HR colleagues, or perhaps a contribution that you were particularly proud of. You know, that's, you know, um, over the past 21 years, I've been involved with Coupa in one way or another. And so there, there are lots of memories. Um, I think one of um, the biggest aha moments for me was um, when I became chair and attended uh, that year's national conference. And um, as I took the stage and looked out over the audience, I was just um, really overwhelmed with um, the diversity in, um, in the audience. Um, you know, when I joined uh, Coupa in 1999, uh, it, it wasn't that diverse. Um, but, you know, we were starting to make inroads in terms of improving diversity and, and looking at human resources and uh, a more robust kind of way. And so, you know, again, it was just really overwhelming to look out and see what was going on and, and, and to see all of the different faces and, um, you know, um, and members of the audience who were just from, you know, all sorts of uh, higher ed institutions. And that was, that was just really, that was, that was really cool for me. And, you know, Lauren has had a huge role in our DE&I efforts. And, and hopefully she'll speak to, to some of that, but the Coupa HR of, two, of 1999 was certainly not the Coupa HR um, that emerged afterwards. So it, that's, that's my, I think one of my most meaningful moments um, with Coupa. Yeah. That's great, thanks for sharing that, Lynn. I can, kind of, I can picture that moment, uh, that's really special. Lauren? So you both have made a very good decision 
putting me and Lynn in this room together. <laughs> uh, because Lynn and I met each other, got to know each other, serving on the board together, did a lot of this work together. And again, this is such a joy for me to be here sitting in the room with her. And so I will build on that because like Lynn, that has been one of my most uh, rewarding um, books of work that I've uh, been engaged with, with Coupa HR. And so I was on the serving on the board of Coupa HR in the 2009-10 era, I think. And we were developing the diversity, equity, inclusion framework. I mean, Coupa had been engaged in this work for a really long time, but they hadn't actually claimed it, you know, very boldly. And so we created this DEI framework and the conference that I was uh, the conference chair for was the 2011 conference in Orlando. Uh, and the uh, theme of the conference was inclusion cultivates excellence, making a difference. And so for me, again, Lynn, exactly as I was listening to, I remember standing up on that podium and by the way, being a little bit nervous because I was using the teleprompter for the first time <laughs> and I had all of about five minutes to practice. And um, I was just, I, I was so emotional because I was scanning the faces and it was so diverse. Now my history is I started in Coop, Coop HR in 1983. So I, I was back in the day uh, and Andy Brantley and I have talked about this where it felt much like an exclusive club, you know, in, in groups and I, and I would go to conferences but feel like I didn't really have a, 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 a cohort. And so for me, that was transformational. And mm -hmm. it just made me so proud, us so proud as a leadership group. And we talked about it because it was just transformational. And so, yes, I'm right there with Lynn and it has been um, a professional, um, incredibly uh, important and valuable journey and experience. Wow. Well, I feel incredibly grateful to be in this room with, uh, <laughs> with you all as well. That's, that's wonderful. And it's, it's great to hear just how um, how such a great organization has changed over the years and um, really started to reflect its values outward, you know, visibly so and, um, and because of the great work that that you all have done. Um, so I'm just really excited to hear all of that. So what skills have you learned or cultivated that have been most important in your success as a leader? You know, um, I had been engaged in human resources and in leadership roles prior to starting my higher ed HR career at Bellarmine. And um, I was, you know, I was coming out of corporate um, to higher ed HR, which is quite a transition. And yes, and so um, one of the, you know, something that just really sticks out in my mind is that um, you know, my uh, VP recommended that I join this group called Coupa HR. And I had no idea what that was. And, and you know, I've told this story many times, but, you know, there were people in the Kentucky chapter of Coupa, um, Kate Drake, Jeff Mudrack, um, you know, just lots, you know, really great folks that helped me understand what higher ed HR is really all about. And, and there are differences. There's a level of collegiality in higher ed HR that you don't necessarily see in, in the corporate world or, or maybe not necessarily even in other nonprofit 
um, you know, organizations. Um, and gee, they saved my bacon so many times and, and helped me understand that, that, in, uh, that difficult group of folks known as faculty sometimes. Um, because I just didn't get faculty and I didn't understand why it took years to accomplish very basic sorts of things like creating a, a faculty handbook. So, um, you know, so I learned skills like collaboration and listening in a different way uh, in interactions with my higher ed HR colleagues. That, that's really made a difference in my, my career since then. Thank you. Lauren. So again, a little similar theme here for me. Uh, I've, so uh, differently than Lynn, however, I've been in higher ed really the entirety of my career, uh, but have been in lots of different levels um, in the role of sort of personnel back in the day, you know, to human resources. And, but have been in leadership positions now for, you know, 25 or so, so years. And so for me, I think what I gained most from my engagement with Coupa HR is the ability to have a space to talk with colleagues. And really, similarly to Lynn's point, I've been in higher ed, so the climate, the culture of that industry wasn't new to me. But building relationships takes uh, strategies that are different you know, than in other climates. And I think sometimes it can get really frustrating you know, because HR can be relegated to a transactional entity and not necessarily seen, for example, by the faculty you know, as a value add you know, in terms of what they can bring to the table. And so I think for me, being able to have those conversations with my colleagues and strategize ways on how you, and it's not the get, this, get a seat at the table because that's such old news, but mm -hmm. be a strategic partner. And I think that's, um, for me, the value, you know, speaking to people like Alison Ballincourt and how she was engaging, you know, on the academic side. So for me to be able to learn those skills and figure out in some respects, it's almost how do you, how do you become a, a recognized strategic partner and servant leader, you know, to the organization? <coughs> because no one in HR wants to be the provost or, you know, wants to be the vice chancellor for finance, don't want that job, but we can help those leaders do a better job of their jobs. And in some respects, it takes a, a, a deference approach to get at that table because you know, sometimes there is a concern that HR is trying to invoke or impose or, and it's not at all. We're just looking to be a resource to help you make better decisions. And so I feel like I learned so much from colleagues. Part of it is in the venting and being able to say, tell you my war story, blah, blah, blah. And how'd you get through that? But I believe, and I, and I, in my practice now, I have such great relationships across all of the entities of my institution, including academic affairs, which is, as I said, I just, just before this interview was on a meeting with our union leadership and our provost talking through issues and resolving them. And that wouldn't have happened, you know, for me 10 years ago, but it's a regular, you know, uh, occasion, you know, for me these days. And I do thank my network of professional colleagues in Coupa for that. Thank you Great. both for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, wish, I wish our listeners could all see the amount of head nodding in our virtual room right now. <laughs> <laughs> you both are answering questions. I think there's just so much relevance to you know past experiences, but also everything is happening right now in real time as well that uh, you know these are these are real skills that continue to be 
absolutely essential to everything that we do. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, yes. one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about recently is that the past year has been such a challenging year um, for all of us on so many professional and personal levels. And <clears throat> I think one of the things I've missed the most is to have that in-person interaction with, um, with my colleagues. Um, it's just been, you know, really challenging. Um, you know, I love going to the Coupa conferences um, and being able to connect with, with folks to be able to sit down and have a cup of coffee or an adult beverage, um, to have lunch, to have, you know, to just to catch up with people. You know, so many of us have kind of grown up together and, you know, we, we know each other's families and um, our kids, and I've, I've really missed that kind of social and professional interaction. And, you know, we've, we've been able to pivot, you know, I think as an organization to being able to do the, uh, the online virtual kinds of conferences, but it's not the same. And so I'm really hopeful and looking forward to um, the possibility of being able to see all of you and the rest of our colleagues in person in October at the national conference. Um, I just think that would be the biggest gift that um, you know, I feel like I could receive, um, again, from a personal and a professional standpoint. <laughs> Absolutely. Green. Again, more Green. nodding in our in our virtual. <laughs> I just think about the work Thank that you. we do and how can you know unidirectional, you know, one directional it tends to be, right? Constantly kind of being that servant leader, as Lauren said too, uh, towards others. Mm -hmm. And you know, Cooper's dark and kind of fill us back up when we need it, and uh, we yes. can have conversations with with colleagues across the the nation and the world, you know, that we can't necessarily have on our own campuses. Um, yep. all the time. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I think wise words from from both of you. Uh, once again, so much, much appreciated for for that, for that, Lynn, and I, I we're ready, we're ready to, <laughs> to be in person again with one another, uh, to have that opportunity to fill back up. Indeed. I think, and I think our next question for you both kind of goes right back into to what we're talking about too, characteristics that all HR professionals um, should really be making sure is on their list. Uh, Lauren, I guess we'll go to you first on this one. What, what's one characteristic that you think all HR professionals uh, need to have to be successful? Sure, it's a difficult question to choose one because yeah. I think we really, we need to be miracle workers. We need to have lots and lots of skills. But actually one is resonant with me right now because I'm actually doing some research on this and um, writing, scholarly writing. And it's the topic of um, cultural intelligence. So I think that leaders in all organizations but particularly human resources leaders, I think owe it to themselves and to their organizations to really develop their cultural awareness, their um, proficiency in cultural interactions um, and their knowledge, you know, across various cultures. We all have a very limited capacity as human beings, you know, in terms of how much we can know when you think about the large scale of vari variability there is across cultures, but we should make it our work 
to grow in that, you know, on a regular basis, because I think that that makes us better able to uh, be in tuned with what the needs of our growingly more diverse workforce, what their needs are, and makes us maybe a more passionate and influential um, uh, uh, contributor to the top management team as they develop policies and strategies, you know, going forward. So I would say cultural intelligence. That's great. Thanks, Lauren. Lynn, you can you narrow it down to one or <laughs> maybe Ooh. it's not narrowing down, but can you identify one? <laughs> you know, the, the thing I thought about um, most recently has been um, flexibility and the ability to pivot um, which is something that I, I, you know, I think the last you know year or so has really tested um, the ability of HR professionals to be able to do that. You know, I mentioned one of my titles is healthy at work officer, and um, you know, who knew that you know I'd have to become an expert on PPE, unemployment claims. Um, the mental, you know, the really the mental health of the 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 staff and faculty at Bellarmine, um, you know, COVID nineteen testing, um, you know, that was something that kind of fell, you know, I got a phone call from the senior VP and, you know, he said, um, we're going to announce in you know in an email from the president in the next ten minutes that you're the healthy at work officer for the university. And, 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 and my response was, okay, but what is that? You know, and the response was, the governor says we have to have a healthy at work officer. So um, mm -hmm. we think you should do that. And that just, you know, it, you know it's, it's like, that was not in my um, portfolio of experiences. Um, so I think that HR professionals really have to be able to pivot and to be able to provide advice and resources and, um, and, and leadership for our HR teams, you know, because they're getting phone calls, right? And, and also, you know, to help provide um, a focus for the university, not just on our students, but also on the human, the other human resources that are present on our, uh, on our campuses. Um, within a matter of less than two weeks, we truly pivoted at Bellarmine from being a very high touch in-person university to being virtual and not doing it very well because we weren't prepared to be an online or virtual university. That just wasn't mm -hmm. within Mm -hmm. Our bailiwick and the stress that it placed on all segments of the university, uh, IT, I don't know how that team was able to pull together as many laptops and, um, you know, uh, you know, screen, you know, monitors and stuff that people could take home and work from. Uh, unbelievable, you know, purchasing, had to go find PPE. And that was hard to do. I mean, we were scrounging PPE from all kinds of resources. And we had students on campus that we, you know, over a thousand students living on campus that we had to send home. 
Um, so it's pivoting, flexibility. Um, you, you really, we really have to have that. And I don't think we'll ever go back to the way we were um, in terms of how our campuses operate. It's going to be different. And um, that's, again, an area where I think we're going to have to be flexible. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. And I don't want to skim over the fact that you had 10 minutes to prepare for a totally new job title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you did yeah. it. So yeah. I, would, I would say, yes, maybe pivoting mm -hmm. and flexibility, adaptability is essential. Especially <laughs> this so last year must. for you. <laughs> yeah, I changed my mind about wanting that extra title. <laughs> Thanks for explaining Sounds. that. <laughs> mm. Yeah. The reward for good work, Lynn, is more work. Yes, mm -hmm. it is, isn't it? Indeed. Yes, as you well know, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving into my next question, I think we've heard a lot of that throughout this conversation so far, but what area or focus within the profession do you see um, as being the most influential or and or poised uh, for growth in the next 10 years? So I'll pick that up. So I think, um, I think the biggest potential area of opportunity for HR right now, and actually I think it's not a potential, I think it's an essential, is really at being um, at the forefront of the shifts in what's being, call, being called these days, the future of work. You know, what is, the, what is work gonna look like in the future? And I think, although it is true that the higher education industry has often lagged behind, you know, some of these trends, I'm not quite sure it's gonna lag behind as much, you know, in the next 10 years. I think that in fact, you know, to Lynn's points that she was just making, I think this pandemic is going to accelerate, you know, some of the demands of the higher education workforce you know, to be more uh, flexible, adaptable, and uh, responsive, you know, to employee needs and how we deliver on them. You know, using AI, for example, technology in general, thinking about remote work opportunities. I think thinking about, I, I teach an uh, HR class for our MBA program. And I often say to them, as we think about managing the workforce of the future, we need to be thinking about hiring talent, you know, that yes, meets the needs of our present, um, uh, deliverables, but that has capacity to learn, you know, that comes to the table with the capacity and interest and, and excitement and motivation to learn. And so I think that that's an exciting area. Um, and I don't think that very many managers, at least in the higher education space, are thinking about that. And so HR can really help inform and drive and facilitate, you know, that conversation. And, and, I, and I'm, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, oh boy, you know, we are going to have some resistors and we are going to have some people who are going to be at the front end of that. And, and as I said, I think the pandemic is going to accelerate some of those. And, and we've already started those conversations on my campus. It's like we are going to be asked these questions once we start talking about physical return to campus. So let's actually talk about them now. You know, we've got some furloughs and layoffs. And you know what? They might not all be recalled in the same fashion as the positions people held prior to being laid off. And we need to become more agile you know, Lynn speaks about HR professionals being more flexible, organizations need to be more agile and flexible and able to pivot, not just in the face of a pandemic, but in, in the ability to be more competitive. And so for me, that's an exciting 
area that we could maybe even stay a little bit more lockstep, you know, with the corporate world, um, so that we can continue to attract and retain, you know, the talent that we need. Yeah, I certainly echo that, uh, Lauren, and um, that that was actually something that I was going to mention too. The other area that I think of in terms of focus that um, we need to uh, be cognizant of and plan for and commit resources to is um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And those words are, are utilized a lot at all levels um, in higher ed these days, but we can't lose sight of the importance of ensuring for our students, our staff, our faculty, that we are being inclusive in you know, lots of different ways. Um, that, that's, that's an area we really need to dedicate time and effort and resources. As, as we think about what does higher education look like in the future, um, that just has to be an integral part. It can't just be an initiative. It has to be an integral part of our strategic uh, planning. Um, it has to be an integral part of the university's values. So, um, you know, that's something that I see Bellarmine doing more and more. And it's really exciting um, to me to, to, to see that. So um, I hope that as, um, as higher ed, um, we're all ready to commit to um, making that um, one of our highest priorities. Lynn, could I just supplement that because that's so important and I absolutely see that as a part of thinking about this future of work. Mm -hmm. We're developing the citizens and the leaders of the future. So if we, I mean, again, no pressure higher education, but pressure <laughs> higher education. You know, we are the institutions that are developing those citizens and those new mm -hmm. leaders. And if we're not doing it well, we're doing an enormous disservice that has a broader reach and impacts than if I were in the healthcare industry. And I get that mm -hmm. it's spans and, and scopes there, but I, I completely agree. And I do think, you know, as is the case oftentimes with social change, yeah, recent, you know, horrible tragedies, you know, help to propel those investments. And I think that that is absolutely a, um, an area of focus for many higher education leaders right now. And the challenge what we're grappling with is the operationalizing it. Like I think the spirit's there mm -hmm. and the intent is there and the appreciation of the importance is there but it's operationalizing it and institutionalizing it. So that's that's a definite, again, another uh, influential area and growth area. Yeah. Now and into the future. The other thing that I think about too, is I, I look at the difficulties um, people in the United States are having now in terms of having um, meaningful conversations with each other, you know, um, the ability to have um, a productive and healthy discourse has been discounted um, in certain areas of our society. And to your point, Lauren, about the importance of the university's role in developing our leaders of the future, um, we, we have to help our students learn to have 
conversations that are respectful of each other and different, respectful of differences, but we have to learn how to talk with each other in a meaningful way. And that's something that um, we've, we've missed. You know, just because we don't agree doesn't mean that we have to be enemies. It doesn't mean that we have to denigrate the beliefs of someone else. We may not ever agree, but we have to be able to respect each other. And if we're not teaching our students how to do that, if we're not modeling that kind of behavior for our students, then we're missing an incredible opportunity. And we're, we're really consigning our future generations, our educated future generations to um, a world where there's just more disruption and, um, and, and lack of respect for each other. I was talking with my uh, MBA class the other night about this very topic, you know, the sort of recognizing what the conditions are in the external environment that are influencing these behaviors one way or another. And I brought up the principles identified by Peter Senge over 20 years ago in his fifth discipline, this idea of systems thinking and the need to have this personal mastery and shared vision. And but this most important, this principle of dialogue. And that dialogue is meaningful exchange where you're not just stacking statements on top of each other, but you are engaging because that is where number one, humans want to engage. And it's so, it's so rewarding, but it's also where organizations get the best value out of a diverse workforce, right? Because people are engaging and they're building and, and creating better outcomes, you know, as a result of that. But there, I agree with Lynn, there's so much, work remaining to do there and we need to teach our students that and we have to facilitate those sorts of behaviors among our faculty and staff you know as well your eyes are watching right and with our unique role in human resources we get to we get to have some impact on on what models they're viewing you know in our in our little microcosms so oh valuable once again i appreciate both of both yes. of you insights uh, I think Deborah and I both expected a lot of wisdom, but I oh yeah, <laughs> also bringing uh, just kind of the spirit of what what we do on a daily basis in our profession, and that's so refreshing. So I just thank you both for bringing that plus the wisdom. So let's take a look at your own personal professional development, um, and you could just tell us about maybe your most enriching or one of your most, I'm, you don't have to be so absolute about it, but one of your most enriching professional development experiences, whether that's that was within Coupa HR or perhaps it was, it was outside of our association. Mm -hmm. Lynn, do you want to go first on this one? Wow, <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a tough one. Um, you know, as I've mentioned before, my experience with Coupa HR, um, I think of all of the different kind of HR roles I've had in, in the past um, has been the most influential in my life. Um, you know, again, you know, it, it's, it's helped me become a much more collaborative um, person professionally. Um, you know, I think that it's helped me develop, um, you know, empathy for other people that, um, maybe I, I haven't had, um, you know, um, in, in previous employment experiences. Um, 
And it's just, it's, it really has helped me expand um, intellectually um, because I've, I've had the opportunity to attend, you know, so many lectures at Bellarmine and um, theatrical productions and, um, you know, the opportunities in higher ed to interact with, with lots of different people, um, the faculty, the staff, um, that has, that's just been to me a very enriching kind of an opportunity. And it's given me the opportunity also to, to mentor, um, um, you know, staff members certainly, um, in the past. And so it's, it's, I guess, you know, it's hard to just pin it on one thing, but, um, again, I would just say the experience I've had with, with Kuka has uh, just been tremendous. Um, and, and not just with Coupa and our colleagues, but um, our corporate partners too, um, because we've had lots of opportunities in person to interact with um, our corporate partners who are terrific individuals. And, and the other thing I've learned from them is that they're not in it for a quick sale. They're taking, you know, years to build relationships. And so um, I'm just, um, I'm very grateful for that. Um, you know, thank goodness I, I moved out of corporate and into, into higher ed. It's, you know, it's been a blast. It's fun. So my, I, it's very difficult uh, to identify one, although um, I, I have, I've selected a most enriching and it was a labor of love. About 10 years ago, I made the decision, not sure if I knew what it was gonna to take to do it, I would make the same decision again, but I made the decision to pursue a PhD. And I set out to do that when I, shortly after I arrived at UMass Lowell. And um, it, it has transformed, absolutely has transformed the way that I think. Um, it's, it's transformed the way that I wrap my mind around you know, challenges and information, how I um, engage with people, particularly when I think about the faculty and really having maybe a better appreciation for sort of where their, you know, frame is and understanding of their work as it relates to their research and scholarship. But particularly appreciative of Coupa HR because Coupa HR served as a um, sample population for me, for my data set for my dissertation. And I was especially appreciative of Andy and the other staff at Coupa HR for helping me to facilitate that. It was obviously a voluntary survey, but I had about 200 member institutions, CHROs at member institutions participate. And it provided me a rich data set that allowed me to do lots of analysis and tell stories and things like, for example, my data shows that cultural intelligence in a CHRO matters that it, it helps them to interact effectively with other members of the senior leadership team to influence decision-making in support of diversity management practices, you know, is one thing. The other thing my study showed is that actually being a formal member of the top management team makes a difference too, you know, versus being an ancillary mm -hmm. member. And then lastly, what my study shows is that there is a virtual cycle, which I love is my favorite. It's a, this is virtual cycle that cultural intelligence and CHROs 
you know, builds diversity management practices in organizations. And when there's turnover, organizations that really are engaged in DEI are looking for CHROs with cultural intelligence. So it's just this self-fulfilling, virtuous uh, cycle that um, really speaks to the response that I made about the one characteristic. So yeah, and so I'm appreciative of Coupa HR. And what do I say with what do I what what I said this morning to a doctoral candidate that I'm serving on her dissertation committee? The best dissertation is a done dissertation, so do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure anyone would disagree with that statement. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a highly acceptable uh, accepted uh, yeah definition. <laughs> <laughs> wow, those are great responses. So as we uh, come to the end of our interview with you both, I am just so full of uh, your responses and just our conversation today. Um, do you have anything that you would like, last words you would like to share with us? Anything you would like to impart on us as HR professionals? I think <laughs> we should just own it. I just encourage, especially the sort of junior practitioners coming up, just own, recognize the difference that you can make, lean into discomfort, you know, engage in conversations, take some risks, be courageous, uh, truth to power, because those are the ways that we're going to continue to affect change. And it's hard because sometimes it's easier to not take on the risk. And so I think that's what HR needs to do. And I just encourage my colleagues, and again, especially the junior practitioners coming up the ranks, that's the game you're entering and you have such a potential to make a difference at our institutions and um, we should seize that opportunity. Excellent. Just to Great. kind of piggyback on something that Lauren mentioned, um, you know, it's a labor of love. Um, at least it is for me. And um, it's, a, it's, it's a commitment to, you know, a higher purpose um, you know, because if you look at the name, human resources, you know, no organization can be successful without human resources. And, um, you know, I just echo, um, you know, Lauren's comments. Um, we have to be courageous and um, we have to uh, provide the leadership and resources when it comes to um, to HR and in our uh, universities and colleges. So, um, you know, congratulations to Coupa on 75 outstanding years. You know, we, you know, we have come a long way and, um, you know, I, I'm really hopeful that we can help chart the future for our universities. Um, that's a commitment that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about to retire um, and, and um, uh, you know, I hope to continue to be able to um, have some influence and um, to be able to share some of some talents um, with, um, with my colleagues. Um, so, um, you know, it's kind of bittersweet in some ways, but, you know, gee, I think the next chapter is yet to be written uh, for me personally and professionally, but also for Coupa HR. And we have an incredible opportunity to help uh, propel our universities into the future. So Lynn, 
congratulations on your retirement. Thank you, Lauren. Um, and just as importantly, thank you for joining higher ed when you did and for getting so actively engaged as you did because you've made a great difference. It's been terrific to have you as a colleague and I do hope you do you stay engaged. And again, similarly to you, congratulations to Coop HR for 75 years. Kudos. Yes, absolutely. Kudos to Coopa.